Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we ask for your spirit to be with us, among us, and in us. Allow us to hear what this scripture, this passage in Matthew has to say to us at this day and at this moment. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. I spent some wonderful time with my family right after Christmas in Wisconsin, and my 85-year-old parents are doing great. And I wanted just to remind you something of their story. They decided to move to Wisconsin, a place they had never lived before in their lives when they were around 80. One of the things that they're trying to deal with is they always want to feel that they still have another move to make. And they moved to Wisconsin for a lot of really weird reasons. And one of the first things they will say is that when they were in Cape Cod, the winters were wimpy. They were not real winters. And these are people who are basically from Michigan, Minnesota, Chicago, and they love winter and they're only a generation removed from Sweden and Norway. So they love Wisconsin right now at 18 degrees below. They also love the big sky, prairie. That is a draw for them to see the big skies and the prairies with the snow. And then somewhere in there is the fact that my brother and his family live in Wisconsin. And I don't remember ever hearing them talking about what it is that has captivated their hearts and, frankly, my brother's and sister's-in-law hearts as well. They have become avid bird people. They have gone berserk over birds, not just feeding the birds and watching the birds, but some family members get up at 3 a.m. to join Audubon groups to count bird populations. And I don't know how this is possible because the clusters of birds are flying overheads and they still manage to count them because there is a method, apparently. Well, there are some birds that captivate them so much that we can be in the breakfast nook talking and they see them flying in the prairie and all conversation ceases. And that's the eagles and the hawks soaring on currents of air. So on the 2nd of January, when it was 18 below, we went on an eagle hunt. And we found these eagles soaring and rising above it all. They were rising above the frozen winter and the bleak midwinter. And they were oblivious, it seems, to what was going on. And there was something very, very moving about this. And there's something about birds and God that have gone together since the beginning of time. There are essential biblical bird symbols. The dove with the olive branch. The dove as the Holy Spirit. The dove, the symbol of peace. The dove, which stands for the nation Israel itself. And people will say that the use of the word dove is pretty frequent, and that could have been any kind of bird. The Holy Spirit has given and revealed, revealed and communicated through birds through all the ages and given images and insights, birds and God. The dove that descended in today's passage was an occasion for the rare Biblical phenomenon known as theophany. 
And that is when God audibly speaks. Not just in our minds or not just a sense, but God audibly speaks to human beings like Moses and the burning bush. And this happened in today's passage when the bird, the dove, descended from heaven. John the Baptist had been preaching and baptizing in the wilderness. And the culminating point in his proclamation was that the time is coming when one whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry will be here. The Savior will be here. So then the one, the one who is worthy, Jesus, shows up. And John knows Jesus when, he's, when he appears. And Jesus comes to John and wants to be baptized like everyone else. John doesn't want to do this baptism. John has been preaching about repentance. About the need to repent. The need for the cleansing of sin. Jesus doesn't sin. He is what to live without sin looks like. I need to be baptized by you, John said. And you come to me. And Jesus responded, let it be so, for it is proper to fulfill all righteousness that I be baptized. And the explanations exist, as you can imagine, for the reason for the baptism of Jesus. A primary one is this is Jesus' identification with the people. Another one is, is that this is the new era in which no Jew had ever been baptized. It was a cleansing ritual for converts. But now that the messianic era was here, things are different. Or this was simply a Jesus breaking through history in the way that he does. A rule breaker, an iconoclast, outrageous. He's going to do mystifying things, and he did. In order to fulfill righteousness. But then there's an explanation that the spirit finds satisfying. There is an explanation. That when we hear it. Our spirits go. Yeah. He was. Demonstrating. Complete. Total. Submission. To God. Jesus by entering. Into the water of baptism was completely filling every pore of his body with God. He was showing humanity that with God, it is real, it is deep, it is profound. As the choir just sang, it is something to drink of deeply. He was demonstrating complete submission. The key to being a follower of Christ, to having the kind of faith in him we need in order to live our life in certain ways. The key to having knowledge of Christ, even when things seem to to not make sense, comes in our submitting and surrendering to him. And I believe that this is not only something that we resist as human beings, but sometimes we don't want to deal with it at all or even consider it. But the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the complete indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what happens when we give God everything. But we have a hard time letting go of the idea that surrender is a form of weakness. The surrendering of Jesus Christ, 
I surrender to God through baptism, he tells us with his acts. On our altar, communion table, we have two candles. Those two candles are not there for decorator purposes. They have their beginnings in a theological truce for the churches who believe in the Reformed tradition. One of those candles represents the complete and total humanity of Jesus Christ. He was a complete human being. The other represents the complete and total divinity of Jesus Christ. He was and is completely God. It's not 50-50 where Jesus is half God, half human. He had to be totally both of those things or the whole thing doesn't work. It's that totally human part of him that surrendered, that showed us. I'm a human being too, and human beings, this is what we do. Our surrendering, our submitting to God is possible. It takes because it's what he did. And we know that at points of desperation or exhaustion or confusion in times of our life, we come to God and say, or at least I do, I won't, don't want to be in charge anymore. Take my life, my thoughts, my ambitions, my fears, just take it over. And if you find in your spirit when you hear that, that you kind of rail against this, you're not alone. It's not many people's nature to want to submit. And much of the time we don't have the strength, and I'm talking spiritual strength, to focus on who God is in order to submit. I've been hearing and reading words from atheists lately, which is kind of surprising since it seems that there is so much spirituality in our culture today of one kind or another. But these atheists keep popping up. And I heard an old Carl Sagan interview being play, replayed on NPR. And for those of you too young to know, he was a popular astronomer who had a lot to say, I think, in the 60s and 70s. And he said he was basically an atheist and that he believed in God only to the extent that God's existence could have its proof in scientific pursuit. But then he candidly admitted that, oh, it's like he had an epiphany while he was being interviewed. That must mean I think science is God. Yes, the scientific method is God. People can say this about whatever it is we place our devotion upon. To whatever or whoever it is we submit. What is authoritative in our life? Christ is the authority. Whether we know it now or not, Christ is the authority. And what is required in order to know this is to surrender and to give him everything. And this is an act, a recurring act. I've given my life to Christ many times and will continue to do so. And we have a very, very real danger when some of our comforts are taken care of and we are no longer on the edge, believing that we're beyond the need to come to God in this way. We become so knowledgeable about the faith or life or the world that we don't need the deliverance part of the faith. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, deliver me from evil. There is a component to the faith and surrendering about actually delivering us from things we have no control of. That is essential part of the faith. We need the whole thing. And at times we do soar like eagles on currents of the Holy Spirit when the presence of God is almost thick in the air. And there's a spiritual weightiness 
and also a buoyancy, allowing us like eagles to rise above whatever it is that could derail us. And those times happen, and we rejoice and give thanks. And then there are the times when we feel so removed from God, we say, God who? And we say, what, Holy Spirit? It's just up to me. It's up to me to figure out my life and, God forbid, the life of other people. But then, the Holy Spirit actually captivates us and catches us and asks one way or another, did you forget? You must let him in. You must receive the love of Christ. You must receive the grace. And we realize He's asking us to receive something. Is that the same thing as surrender? It's the same spiritual muscle to let down and surrender and let go as it is to let down the walls, the barriers to receive the love of Christ. I had a wonderful time talking to someone very dear in this church just last week about the love of Christ. And she had just experienced a new dimension to her life where she was understanding how much he loves me. I've been involved in the church all of my life, and I understand now how much he loves me. It's an unconditional love. It is there. It is true. It is deep. It is profound. It is unshakable. We can't get rid of it. We can't reform it. It is powerful. It is actually the love of Christ, which is the person of Jesus Christ. And it is the love of Christ, which is the buoyancy of the Holy Spirit. Receive the love of Christ sounds like a little bit of a different statement than surrender everything. But you know what? They are the same statement. When Jesus stood in the baptismal water, heaven and earth came together and it actually, they actually overlapped and commingled. And he demonstrated what humanity needed to do. Not just turn to Christ, although repentance is a necessary prelude. But submerge ourselves into the reality of God. John consented to baptize Jesus. Because when Jesus told him to, he had to. Jesus had that kind of authority. We know that every knee will eventually bow and proclaim him Lord. And just as he came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. And the actual word was, the heavens were torn apart. The heavens were ripped open. The membrane separating us from eternity torn apart. And God's realm entered into earthly realm into fragile existence, and then there was the bird. The bird. A dove appeared, connecting and bridging two realms, flew directly like an arrow straight down into the baptismal scene onto Jesus upon his act of submission. And the voice came from heaven, This is my son the beloved one with whom I am well pleased. And when we watch the eagle surrender to the currents, the air, the wind, they don't force anything when they soar. The power, the strength is from something else, from someone else. 
Let us pray. You are all around us. You are with us. You are keeping us. You are a person. You are the energy of the Holy Spirit. Give us whatever grace we need to surrender to you. Help us to realize that this is a love act. This is a love act. And be with us now, dear Lord. We thank you for what you have done. In Jesus Christ, amen.